3: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking
0: requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
3: You're listening to Slice of Cheese with Jenny Linford on Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon, and specialist
1: food retailers. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.
4: Hello, welcome to A Slice of Cheese, the Food FM radio series that celebrates the world of cheese. I'm Jenny Linford, a food writer and cheese enthusiast, the author of Great British Cheeses. Cheese is a delicious and fascinating food, and we're setting out to explore this remarkable food and share the stories of the people who make, sell and love it. Good cheesemongers do a fantastic job. Not only do they offer a chance to buy a variety of cheeses in peak condition, they share the stories behind the cheeses as well. We talked to five cheesemongers in countries around the globe. Anthony Fermier, founder of Make and Manga, Melbourne, Australia. Jessica Fernandez of Mexican Mongos, Mexico City, Mexico. Gordon Edgar of the Rainbow Grocery, San Francisco, California, USA. Julia Trelaw of Cheese Boutique, Toronto, Canada. And Chris Hallam of Chawton Cheesemongers, Manchester, UK. What comes across loud and clear is their love of cheese and their enthusiasm for and commitment to their work
1: online on smart speakers and on listen again this is food fm
4: this week on a slice of cheese we're talking to cheesemongers around the world and very happy to have with me all the way from australia anthony femier of maker and Manga in melbourne in pran which is the famous food market in melbourne absolutely amazing place Good morning, Anthony.
1: Good morning. Good evening. (laughs) Good evening.
4: (laughs) Thank you. No, it's it's lovely to have you on the show. Thank you for taking the time, Anthony, I I was curious to know. It's always really interesting for me to know how people got into the cheese world. You know, what was it about cheese that sort of was it? You know, did you find a love of cheese in yourself?
5: Yeah, um, I was lucky enough to to get a job with my my mum. Her side of the family have always had. Um, incredible delicatessens up in Sydney and um, when I was old enough to work and after getting fired from a ice cream shop for putting too much ice cream in, in thick shakes, um, in I, I, I decided to work with mum and, and, and worry less about the the stirring of being uncool and working for your mum and um, <laughs> started working in a deli with her and one day just started tasting cheeses and, and watching people's sort of experiences with the way mum served them uh, in mm. terms of talking about flavour and, and menu suggestions for cooking at home and oh. and how to have this particular product and, and, and thoroughly enjoyed the way they would come back the next day or the next week and, and tell her, you know, how incredible that was and, and, you know, what's next. And with dad's side of the family being teachers, that kind of knowledge or pursuit yeah. of knowledge and pursuit of education started to sort of awaken in me and, um, I put those two together and I didn't want to talk about salami or antipasto. I I wanted to talk about cheese, cheese. And, and,
4: and It is like, a fascinating food, isn't it, Anthony? Because yeah. it is so I mean, it's so diverse, it's so historic, it's so much about place and you've got well, there's a lot of stories, that, aren't there? Wonder. That's
5: it. The the romantic site really planted a seed in me and um just learning about the history and the ability to travel around the world and and meet incredible people who have been making this product for hundreds of years and Mm. and just tasting and tasting place and 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 learning their craft and it really made me realize that this can be an enjoyable life rather than just a career and um yes
4: I find she's very fascinating I mean I write about food generally um so I'm not a specific cheese writer but if I had to choose one food, it would be cheese because of all these reasons, and the people in it are amazing. So tell us your story. So then, do you think oh, I want to have a, a cheese shop? And you're in you in Melbourne, which is a very foodie city, isn't it?
5: Yeah. Um, so I arrived in Melbourne in 2010. Um, so before that, I was in Sydney uh, studying applied finance at university. And um, is that the, for, yeah, for yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can have a look at all my exercise books. They so just <laughs> drawings of shop fronts and, and mm. shop signs and and just business plans of what it was that I wanted to do and once I graduated um I took myself to Italy and went to oh, Slausage, yeah. um the yeah in 2007
4: Fantastic.
5: and um then spent a few more months going through Italy. I, I stayed with a balsamic uh, vinegar producer in Monitor, which was absolutely amazing. amazing. Yes. And spent a couple of days making Parmigiano Reggiano and came back home. And that was it. I just wanted to work in cheese and got a job in a, 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 regular, a local cheese shop in Sydney. And
3: mm-hmm. it
5: wasn't until I won um, Best Cheesemonger in Sydney through the Sydney Morning Herald that I earned a scholarship to come down to Melbourne and um, wow. spent a couple of weeks at Holy Goat Organic Farm in, in central Victoria in Castlemaine. They're still recognised as a benchmark farmhouse cheese producer. Oh, that's and,
4: interesting. Right. And
5: the, the holistic approach of their land, their animals and their employees um, really struck a chord in me and and I wanted to move to Melbourne to be able to sell their, their product. Oh, and brilliant. And at that time in 2010, the best cheese shop in the country was Richmond Hill Cafe and Larder. Um, it was set up by uh, Randolph Hodgson. He actually came over and helped Will Studd and Stephanie Alexander yes. set up the, the cheese room. Randolph's and and
4: name comes up on this over and over yeah. again. This is Randolph from New Zealand Dairy for those who don't know him, but he was just this remarkable driving force in, and not in yeah. cheese in Britain, but also in other in in America and Australia. I mean, he's a real connector. Yeah. And, yeah.
5: So it was the only cheese shop or the cheese room, or purpose-built cheese room in Australia at the time. And um, it was a very incredible opportunity to, to work there. And, and it had been run down for a few years. So the then owner hired me or brought me down from Sydney to revamp it. And that really was a great opportunity because I learned a lot. Uh, this owner mm. had um, business management skills from the Boston Consultancy Group in America, as well as a franchise-run uh, business here in Melbourne. So she taught me a lot about food costing, staff wages, et cetera, mm. just to learn the behind the scenes and to be able to apply my finance degree to that as well. And that that gave me free reign with creativity in terms of selection of cheese and the way we marketed it and the way we trained our staff and, and really made it personable for not only our employees, but for our customers. And and it was fantastic. That and I it very,
4: very useful. Yeah. And then did you take the plunge and think, right, I actually want to do my own my own thing? You yeah. use this vision yeah. all the time. Yeah.
5: Um I helped set up a, a beautiful cheese shop here in Melbourne called Spring Street Grocer after that. Uh-huh. And um that was great having somebody else's money to design your <laughs> dream cheese shop an <laughs> underground cheese shop. It was down this beautiful Iron wrought or wrought iron staircase, totally and nice. uh, had two acclimatized cheese cellars, and just this beautiful brickwork. It looked like a very old St James railway station, and uh, lovely. Yeah, uh, that costs in excess of one point five million uh, to design <laughs> and build. So
4: <laughs> scary, a, scary yeah, money.
5: Yeah, oh, very scary. But it was a great <laughs> opportunity, and. Um, I learned a lot there and I, I won a Churchill Fellowship here in this country. I'm not sure if you've got that in England as well where you, you can no longer learn what you're doing in, in your country and you need to go overseas to learn more. Really? And for me it was micro think of uh, microbiology of cheese rinds as well as the setting up of national cheese bodies. Um, so that took me to central France, to England to spend a month with Niels Yard Dairy at Borough Market, and then oh, to America for a month with Jasper Hill's sellers there. They're, in brilliant.
4: they're amazing. Yeah.
5: Yeah. I need and to
4: was, my tail on. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah.
5: It was on that trip where I knew that that's it. No more working for anybody. It was now time to work for myself. That way I could balance decision making between what's good for profit and what's good for profit in terms of staff and employee satisfaction customer satisfaction yes. and pride and joy so
4: you yeah. want yes i mean we can obviously come on to it a bit later but actually you can feel you know there's a content when a shop is well run and stuff like being there that's a very guiding yeah. thing isn't it so yeah I'm,
5: I'm very proud of the reputation we have at, at maker and Munger with that and um
4: how did it? come can't in, be easy to set up a shop from scratch. I mean, and no. there's some things you talked about that's scary. So how yeah. did you do it then? Yeah.
5: Literally from scratch. Like we, I was lucky enough whilst I was on my scholarship to be approached by Peran Market to to open a shop there and. Um, oh, cool. Uh, the only downfall was they said I had a month to hurry up and get home and set it up. And, and I almost spent most of my money on this trip because it was a trip of a lifetime. Yeah. Um, and I got to meet some incredible people, and a lot of doors were opened through your scholarship. And to be able to spend a month with Ivan Vlacher in In, Cheniers, Amazing. in France, legendary name. Wow. Yeah. Like he, he is a real cheese whisperer. And then yeah. to have some real. Incredible one on one time with Jason Hines of Neil's Yard Dairy. Oh, Jason's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. He, He's
4: just, he retired sadly, which is very Yeah. I'm hoping returns to, he to Australia
5: again. We, we, we need to catch up. So they imparted a lot of wisdom and, and knowledge to me and yes. Jason in particular with the Zingerman's way of, oh, of yes. life yeah. and, and running a business through the books that Ari has written and, um, yeah.
4: Yeah, they're great books. Yeah.
5: yeah. And so I got back to Melbourne, September two thousand fifteen and had to open a cheese shop straight away and had to borrow money from anyone and anyone who could offer me. Yeah, yeah. And so it was a lot of hundred dollar loans here, five hundred dollar loans there and wow. I was ready to open and then got told not to allow to sell cheese. You're only allowed to do raclette and a toasty and um Gosh. So I modelled on a couple in there in England, in London, and yes, um, I knew them really
4: well. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, so yeah really, it was amazing. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, so it's very really, successful. I mean, that's
5: yeah. Uh, I wanted to recreate the flavour of the the Cabot cloth bound cheddar that I'd spent a lot of time with there in in Vermont yeah. with Jasper Hill, and um, got close to that with the combination of onions and and cheddars from from Vermont, and. Uh-huh. Yeah, the rest is history. It took us three years to be able to expand and open up a proper cheese shop in the heart of the heritage harvest hall.
4: Yeah, and, I've been to from Market. I mean, if anyone fantastic. goes to Street, you've got to go there. It's the most amazing market. It's a fantastic yeah. spot to have to have a cheese shop in. Um, yeah, got oh, very receptive customers who are interested in good food. Then
5: very much so. Like we've got. Uh, incredible, very loyal clientele um, who mm. ask a lot of questions, want to know what to pair it with. They're asking for menu suggestions as well, so recipes. So it's great to see consumers no longer just eating cheese as a cheese plate, but yes. wanting to work with it. Sure that, it. For me, exactly. yeah, the last eight years of Maker Monger, just seeing that crowd and the different questions and the diversity of products as
4: well is. It's still exciting for me to go to work every day. Um, and if I came as you know, as someone who's English and I've read very little about Australian cheesing, mm-hmm. and came to your shop, what what are the Australian cheeses you'd tell me I should absolutely try?
5: Yeah, we've got some world class products that, um, like in particular, the Berry's Creek Riverine Blue. Uh, so that's a buffalo milk, uh, natural rinder blue mould made in Gippsland, so down the south of Victoria. Uh, mm-hmm. So Gippsland has incredible volcanic soil and Barry he's more renowned for his cow's milk blues and by chance his neighbor had excess buffalo milk and he decided to just experiment with it and, mm. and buffalo milk very to ritual, make sure it? yeah it's very yeah. hard it's the hardest milk to use for blue because the larger the f- fat gobble the yeah. more risk of bitterness and um oh. ran to notes and he he hit it out of the park in on his first try and Riverine has been a staple on our counter ever since. And Holy Goat, of course, their organic um, La so Luna this is, Ring. That's um, you were so excited by. Though, yeah, yeah, they, by they, they make a, yeah. a cheese very similar to what you might find in Loire Valley, but with a, a more gentler rind. So it's not as oh. dry. Um, they, yeah. they don't have a hastening room where they, they dry the cheese before maturation. So it keeps all the beautiful lactic, quite moist, you know, yeah. you know, lemon notes as well through okay. the cheese. Okay. And then we have Ivan, he's relocated to Castle Main uh, here in, oh. in Victoria and he's built a, an incredible maturation facility as well as make area and he's making cheeses like what we call the driftwood uh, because he he's set oh. it as a ode to him drifting into Australia and it's <laughs> yes. made like the like the Mont d'Or of um, oh, the Jura nice. region of France and and we have some cheesemakers in New South Wales, Pecora Dairy, who are making pretty much the youngest uh, raw milk cheese here in the country. Um, oh, I want to you about raw milk because I hope yeah.
4: you allow people, are cheese makers allowed to use raw milk? That's allowed, Yes, isn't? they are.
5: There's They can make quite a lot of cheeses. However, there's a, still a lot of hesitancy uh, hesitancy because of the, A, lack of education. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of our education here was always dictated towards mass-produced, shelf-stable products for the supermarkets. Yeah. Only now through Yvonne's courses are we starting to see a lot more sort of farmhouse and artisan cheesemaking skills. Uh, and the other setback is the amount of regulations that each state's health department puts on their oh, yes. um, cheesemakers and the cost of that. Some, um, yeah. For some it can be up to 5% it's
4: than, yeah. of your oh, revenue wow.
5: and, and that's huge. Unfortunately the, there's still that hesitancy but – there's yep. that eagerness to learn and, and to yeah. make. So I'm hoping in the next five five years we we see where our beer industry kind of ignited in the early 90s with all the um, microbreweries setting up and the collaboration of knowledge. Yeah, I see that's where our cheese industry is at the moment. where are just on the cusp of greatness.
1: I was um,
4: talking to, because I've also been talking to lots of British cheesemakers, and one of them said they had a long memory and they said that, you know, actually straw milk um, from health and safety had really changed in a very positive way, that the more they'd learned, they'd become much more understanding and working with the cheesemakers, you know, and sort of so that, since that can happen too, you know, you can have a very a much so. understanding really. Um,
5: so. and, and we're seeing the cheesemakers and, and the voices in cheese being a lot more positive with authorities because for a while in our industry, the figurehead of our industry was very combative against r- the regulatory bodies and every piece of, Media out there was always a negative of how dare they? It's controlling. It's you know stupid. And if you're a you know someone with a lab coat there behind the scenes trying to yeah, do your job, justify what you do. If you have every time you read a paper and see someone essentially bullying you, you're not going to want to mm. help. Them. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's great that that person's retired, and and everybody who's come up since has been a lot more collaborative. And and i
4: to go back to Randolph. He told me that again that he had invited, he had worked with, and invited them to come on a cheese making course so they could understand how it was made. That's and the it was way really done already. You know, a step forward then. Um, yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. So, and what? I was really interested in. So, you the cheeses you sell. Is it a mix? Is it sort how does it work? Is it mostly Australian and some European, or is it 50-50? fifty? You, you've got a very global. Oh outlook, I think. Yeah, we, we're we more
5: 70-30 in terms of European to to Australian. Um, right, okay. Particularly in autumn, winter, where the, the small cheesemakers that we deal with don't make cheese. Um, we then have about 90% European. Uh, oh, but in the summer sense. when those yeah. micro dairies start up again, uh, right. we see our Australian selection increase and and the Australian farms that we're helping, they're not big enough yet to, to do a consistent supply, so they well, they focus on their weekend farmer's markets where they're guaranteed to, to sell their product really well and, yeah. and that gives them a great income. So a lot of our farms, they're still trying to do everything themselves where they're trying to raise the animal trying to look after the land, trying to make the cheese, the maturation, yeah. the marketing, the cellar door, mm. the markets, and then the wholesale and distribution Gosh. because of how vast our country is, we don't have yeah. that distributor or wholesaler who can just pop into a van and drive yeah, to different yes, yeah, yeah, It's extremely frustrating in that sense where I, I wish I could just pull an elastic band around our country shrink it to England's size yes. and, yeah. and just be able to yeah. do like he yeah. yeah. makes you realise yes,
4: yes you're absolutely, how interesting I was going to ask I was thinking about it because in Britain um, Christmas um, is a massive cheese selling season for yeah. our cheese mongers and obviously it's, it's winter so certain quite wintry cheeses can't really come to the fore What's yes. it like in Australia? Is the, is Christmas a big selling time for cheese?
5: Yeah, Christmas is fantastic. Christmas, like you have that once a year Christmas shopper who mm-hmm. who doesn't shop any other time, but they they love what you do and they remember. They they take photos of the labels and they bring it in and they share you the stories from twelve months ago as if it was yesterday. Oh, yeah. um, and then you have your regulars who have been coming to you every single week and they're ready to purchase those favourite products right. um, for the the um, table and and our. Christmas is a very heavily dictated by seafood and roasted ham. So it's Mm. about finding cheeses that match the wines there. So uh, sparkling reds are very popular at Christmas Ah, time here. So Stilton is always a fantastic
4: Ah, cheese to sell
5: and, um, which, other
4: which, wine, which the, do you sell? Do you we sell? only
5: ever carry I the see. Colston Bassett hand-ladled animal well uh, I reddit. love
4: that cheese. I've interviewed Billy. Yeah. What an amazing, yeah. I love Billy. He's yeah. incredible. <laughs> yeah, And that cheese <laughs> is absolutely, it's so yeah. beautiful, isn't it? And it's so consistently yeah. good. It's very impressive.
5: And that's it. And and he's yeah. very proud of making pasteurized milk cheeses. I've been in a... In a uh, elevator with him and David Gremmels from Rogue River, and oh, yes. I accidentally inter- introduced David to Billy, and said that David makes the best raw milk blue in the world. And uh, Billy yeah. pressed stop on the elevator, and he turned around <laughs> and he said, to "David, let me tell you something about pasteurized cheese." And we stayed in that <laughs> elevator for so long, and I, was, I I hate small spaces, so I was panicking yeah. and. Uh, David took it on, oh, took it very well, and, and Billy, yeah, by the end of it, was converted to uh, Rogue River, but he, he'll oh, never admit it. So, um,
4: yeah. That's yeah. another great cheese. Rogue River's wonderful. Yeah, so, yeah. Wow, you're meeting some of the best people. How amazing. Oh, good. Yeah. That's something about Christmas. And like, do you see – and obviously Melbourne is a city full of wonderful restaurants and a wonderful mm-hmm. food scene. Are the chefs – you know, are they championing cheese on their menus? And are they championing yeah. Australian
5: cheese? We're seeing a real revolution here where chefs are now making a lot of their own cheeses. Like we have oh, one chef in particular, Colin Wood, who's now based in Sydney, who kind of kick-started all that. And yeah. his Instagram is just Going bananas, and, and he's been commissioned to write a book here, and I can't wait for that. And yeah, and he he went around the country, uh, Sydney, Melbourne, and Perth, and, and taught a few kitchens on how to make their mm. own uh, cheeses. So it started so off with fresh that, cheeses, but, or not, yeah, really fresh, fresh. And yeah. and now also some are moving into the white bloomies as well as the wash rinds oh, okay. and semi-hard yeah. cheeses, and, and 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 they're making a good enough product where they can actually serve it. At the table, um, yes. which is pretty exciting. And then we have some very traditional uh, hatted restaurants that are still using the cheese trolley and, and championing um, yeah. local cheeses, like um, View de Mons here um, in the Rialto Tower, that very tall tower in Melbourne. They have a, a cheese trolley dedicated to nothing but Australian cheeses. Oh, and then we work closely with some amazing restaurants like Bistro Omnia, who Doing this incredible, they have this most amazing French walnut cheese trolley. I wish I could have at home, <laughs> and, and the way it's chilled and humidified through the use of ice under this marble bench, and it's Gosh. just absolutely beautiful. It's, a, it's an Art Deco design, and then we're very proud to to show you or always um, display the best of the best um, products yeah. um, on a week to week basis there. So, yeah, I, wonder,
4: I mean, that's just. Too- Australian scene Are Australian cheesemakers are they looking to if thinking of you know of heritage? Do, do mm-hmm. people look to countries like Italy and France and Spain for inspiration in the way you, you know yeah. because of this yeah. these long established cheese cultures? I suppose.
5: Yeah, they do. Um, the ones who who can sacrifice and, and take themselves overseas, they definitely bring back a renewed vigor as well as more more knowledge. I see mainly a lot of cheesemakers going to America or to England to learn. Uh, they are mm. more so Italy or, or France um,
4: because of the language also, yes. yeah language yeah. as well as
5: the the Americans and the way they're they're all about education like in in Vermont particularly uh, yeah. also in Wisconsin with Andy hatch and what he's and doing there amazing. and the guy who oh, his name is escape me who makes Westcom cheddar there in in Somerset he he been, yeah Come he's on. been yeah. fantastic with a couple yeah. of our cheesemakers uh here yeah. particularly pines uh, who are who have the most picturesque dairy in all of australia where they're on this cliff overlooking kiama beach and mm. they have this incredible milk sauce and 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 tom's been very yeah. open with them in terms of learning from him and um it's fascinating to see and um
4: yeah thinking think in cheese making in britain one of the tricky things is getting a source of good of milk that's good enough for cheese is that an yeah. issue in australia
5: yeah, we still we're still very driven, especially in the cow industry, by yeah. Friesian and Holstein, as yeah. well as you know big bulk pasteurisation. And yeah. then the other thing as well is because we keep our animals out outdoors three sixty five days of the year, we're feeding a lot of silage as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so only now we're starting to see a lot more focus on the regeneration of soil, uh, particularly mm-hmm. the pines. They're leading the way with right. that and poorer dairy. And we're seeing a lot more cheesemakers focusing on the soil and the grass um, right. and not just worrying about yield and, and, and yearly supply. And yeah. and even holy Goat uh, here in Southern Grange as well, they've – regenerated their soil and their um ancient grain and grass that have taken them about 12 years to re-establish wow. on their lands that's uh, fascinating such commitment yeah, yeah. yeah they where they are it used to be um very big orchards uh, very big cider production uh, there was a a lot of expat english that settled in central victoria um mm-hmm. with the gold rush etc and so the land's topsoil, like that's our biggest problem is the topsoil in, in our country is eroded to the point where there could be in certain parts of the country there's only six to eight centimetres of beautiful Gosh. rich topsoil. So in the winemaking industry in particular, they're moving a lot towards biodynamic methods and, yeah. and same with our, oh. our industry and, and the regeneration of the soil. And and they've had to as well with the the focus of the vegan diet not disappearing and, and a lot of disinformation out there in terms of yeah. What an animal might do to your health, we've had to sort of flip the switch. Instead of talking about how healthy cheese is, we've talked about how healthy the soil is and how much we do for the environment, and not take yeah. away from the environment. So, I
4: mean, I go thinking goats and it's an interesting goats cheese and sheep cheese is those is that a big thing
5: in yeah way? yeah so holy goat lead the way and then we have dreaming goat here in victoria as well um gabrielle cavella who set up the first proper artist farmhouse cheese production in western australia how many years ago about 25 years ago she kind of kick-started everything Pokora dairy have a beautiful selection of sheep we have um, prom country here in in central victoria as well in the gippsland region uh, in tasmania there's grandview with their sheep so know, there are I'm people sure. with but the problem is our sun. so you can't oh. have pure saen french goats you have to blend them with the british alpines because they get yeah. sunburn and cancer so things. <laughs> yes
4: that's not good
3: yeah I mean, it's
4: so fascinating isn't it? because it's so rooted you know just hearing you talk it, it obviously cheese is so rooted in in place you know and climate and the environment yeah. around it and what you know what's going to work for you you know what's wonderful mm-hmm. in you know britain we've got lush pastures you know so yes. somerset all those great big cheeses because lots of milk lots of pasture um yeah. yeah fascinating so anthony one last thing so it sounds like you've been on a fantastic journey and and looking mm-hmm. forward what do you hope to see then in in australia's cheese scene I would love in the next five
5: years to see a lot more of our own territorial cheeses. So rather than trying to copy the breeze, et cetera, just mm. something that's unique to our farmers, to their land, to their own journey in cheese. Um, like We're missing a lot of beautiful real made wash rinds and, and semi-hard mm. toms in our country. And if we can start seeing a few more of those propping up, that would be amazing. And And I love the way our, our consumers here do spend their money at farmers markets and not just the supermarkets. So yeah, buying direct them. from farmers and and I would love to see a cheesemonger community here like there is in, in America. Um, we're still very, very secluded. It's usually just delis with someone dedicated with pre-cutting the cheese and wrapping it in Glad wrap. But if we could have a, a really yeah. cool sort of community of cheese shops with dedicated cheese mongers where it's okay to have a career in cheese like yes there yeah. should be no negative stigma around the service industry anymore like we we still see hospitality as the gateway between school and university or for people who are drifting in and out or for tourists coming in on a holiday visa. Yes. but we want people to be proud yes. of what they yes. do so yes
4: exactly and it's so important it and to connect i've always championed food shops i and mean, in fact thinking that what's really interesting is you know i have seen a sort of growth in the british cheese thing that i've been writing about food here for 30 years so i've really witnessed lots of things and one of them and, it's, and it could more good cheese shops opening because it's not easy to run a good cheese you know it's no. a lot of knowledge you know a lot of work
5: saying it, it yeah. ain't yeah. easy being cheesy and it's it's very true like
3: <laughs> you can't you,
4: do you know um, have you come yeah. across courtyard dairy in yorkshire and andy swinscoe
5: no.
3: He's
4: amazing. Oh, okay, so he's well worth looking at because he's had this remarkable effect. He's up in a very remote location where you think, How can you have a fine cheese shop? And he would hate the word fine effects. I think he would say <laughs> cheese shop. Um, and but he just pulls people and since I think they must have been like ten, eleven years. And now around him, thanks to his encouragement, he's knowledge of cheese making, yeah. he's got um they're like two or three raw milk, um, Wednesday Dale Producers are literally nurtured by Andy. So it's this ripple effect. So it can, you know, it can happen. So listen, it's been fascinating. I think I could talk to you forever, but I know you're busy. So thank (laughs) you, Anthony, for your time. That was great. Thank you for having me. I really appreciated that.
1: Online, on Smart Speakers, and on Listen Again, this is Food FM.
4: This week on A Slice of Cheese, we're talking to cheesemongers around the world. I'm very happy to have with me today, all the way from Mexico City, Jessica Fernandez founder of Mexican Mongers. Hello, Jessica.
2: Hello, Jenny. Thank you for having me. No, really happy to
4: have you on the show. And Jessica, I was really interested. Tell me the story of Mexican Mongers. What was the inspiration for, for setting it up? It's a, it's a project between you and Georgina Yescas. It's your three yes. weren't you?
2: Well, um, it came the opportunity in 2019. Uh, we were requested to start a training program in the Riviera Maya, for a company that wanted to start bringing a more professionalized world to the to cheesemongering in Mexico, because cheesemongering in Mexico is not really understood. Mm-hmm. So people sometimes don't know what we do, or if there is a cheese, uh, you know, a specialty. Actually, mm-hmm. when people ask us, what do we do? And we, we explain it. They're like, oh, I didn't know that. And that's so great. You eat cheese. And we're like, well, yeah, that's part of the job too. <laughs> so we literally had to make a full program in Spanish because the resources in our language are very limited. Either they are in English or in French. Mm-hmm. So we have to literally come up with a plan and a program for these people and we build it from scratch. It made sense that we get, give a personality to, to this idea and that's how it started, you know to exist Mexican mongers, because it was something being made for Mexico by Mexicans adapted to the Mexican market. So it was something very Mexican. But we mm. also wanted to keep, you know, the word mongers, because that's our origin, you know. That's how we learn how to sell cheese, and that's how it came to exist, yes. And I'd love <clears throat>
4: to learn more about the Mexican cheese scene. Um, is, it, is there a vibrant, in Britain we have sort of, you know large-scale Makers, And then in mean, the years that I've been writing my food, I've seen a sort of rise of small scale. You know, some of the traditional farmhouse cheesemakers carrying on, but it's a rise of people coming, joining the cheese making scene in a way and making on quite a small scale craft cheeses. What, give us an outline of the Mexican cheese scene for us.
2: OK, so there are for me are three levels on the Mexican cheese is industrial cheese. Mm-hmm. Semi industrial cheese and artisanal cheese. The word artisanal for us, uh, we have been trying to come up with an explanations, kind of speaking, because there's it's a very broad word, mm-hmm. but for us artisanal focuses mainly on you know the equilibrium between manual work and you know that you know the milk, the sourcing, how the connection with the land, most part of the traditional cheeses, what we will call it like that, you know, Mm -hmm. quesillo, queso Oaxaca, that is now being very popular because of certain lists. That type of, I'm going to make the example with with queso Oaxaca because it's going to be Mm -hmm. easier for me to explain. You can find queso Oaxaca in the three levels. You can find it very industrialized on a very high level, everything being made by a machine on the semi-industrial part with some process being manual, but, the main problem here is that the sourcing of the milk is not um, quite understandable all the way. And the third way is completely artisanal. Even the strings are being pulled by hand. Everything can be sourced. The the cheesemakers owns the cattle. The cheesemakers mm-hmm. own the facility. The cheesemakers make their own cheese and they also wholesale the cheese. That's how we have this, these three levels on the part of artisanal cheeses. And there's a new cheesy scene of cheesemakers that have started to experiment with um, new styles because either they lived in another country or they have roots, European roots, and they have been going back and forward. They have been taught in Spain, in France, and they decide to come back to Mexico and start to bring in this inspiration Mm -hmm. applied to our local terroir. So there's been like a very big movement. I think probably it has 10 years. I think it's also a response to the market because Mexicans are, are, are like growing in terms of flavors. So what I can see in the past, I don't know, five years, four years, is people... Wanting to experiment more flavors than traditional cheeses, but the new cheeses are being are being seen in a different way. People see cheese as a valuable food, as a functional food, and they pay attention of, on the sourcing. Like if it's artisanal, if it's organic, how it connects them back to the land.
4: Exciting. I had the pleasure of talking to Carlos Yescas on this podcast about we, about fresh cheeses. We were focusing on that because we were looking at the idea of time and cheese. And obviously freshness is part of time. And of course, one of the very interesting things about very fresh cheeses is they don't travel very, you know, they don't travel well, they don't travel far. So often we don't, if, you know, here I'm in Britain, I haven't had, you know, a lot of fresh Mexican cheese. Are, are fresh cheeses very characteristic or is that, or are there many different types in Mexico?
2: Oh we have very different types of make, of cheese. Also the characteristic of the characteristic sorry of cheeses is that Mexican cheeses are also we have fresh but very highly fermented cheeses. Mm. It's something very traditional of of the south of Mexico because it's a very hot zone. And very humid, I was
4: hot. Yeah, so many fermented <laughs> foods are linked. You know, in the tropics, it's yeah. Like
2: have a fermented batter because it's you know half an hour it will be fermented. <laughs> so, yes, literally, we have right. fermented. We have sour cream, sour butter, mm. um, sour cheeses. We mm. we do have a lot of uh, cow's lactics. It's it's it, it's eaten as a fresh cheese because you can eat it literally when it when it's done the fermentation process, but. People uh, don't really will say to you, oh, it's a fermented cheese. They will just say it's fresh cheese. And in Mexico, we also have a few, the the term in Spanish is called oreado. It Mm -hmm. means that they let sit these cheeses in drying rooms for a short period of time. The idea of doing this is to try to preserve these fresh cheeses because sometimes people didn't eat them immediately. So they came up with the idea of drying them. In, oh, in drying rooms, yeah. they're very salty cheeses, low low moisture, salty cheeses. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you can find those on the West Coast. The West Coast is a more hot weather, but less humid. So it's right. easier for you to dry the cheeses there because they won't get spoiled. If you try to do yeah. that, like, I don't know, in Yucatan, the cheese will literally rot but this technique is being made in the West Coast.
4: Right. That's very interesting. It's fascinating hearing, you know, the actual practical realities of a climate and geographic differences and how it, of course, impacts yeah. on cheese making. But we sort of, you know, we've become very detached from that in yeah, in so many ways. What, what are some of the other um, cheese styles in Mexico?
2: We make uh, cheese from cow milk goat milk and sheep milk. It, it's, it's been kind of weird here because um, with time, we used to have more, more goats than cows, but mm-hmm. probably in the 70s, in the 80s, like the cattle, uh, the cows start to being more dominating. So right. now 90, 90% of, of cheese in Mexico is being made with cow's milk. The, the second one is goat's milk and the less uh, seeing actually being made is sheep's milk. It's a very expensive cheese in terms of in terms of price, of market price, Sheep milk comes at, at a very high price. I think that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why it's not very widely seen in Mexico because for us it's not a commodity. It's for mo- for us for for the Mexican market cheese is something like that we buy on on a daily basis and most of the cheeses are part of a of a sec, of a first dish, sort of speaking. Because cheese ah. is, also, is is always being used to finish a cheese, to accompany a cheese on, on our daily reality. Of course there's there's cheese there's dishes that where cheese is like the, the superstar but yeah. it's not always. Um, so that's how the market around cheese in Mexico moves, like on the daily basis when people go and buy the cheese in the market. The other more famous cheese is our string cheese that people know it as Queso Oaxaca, but we actually, the name that I like to to give to the cheese is Quesillo or string cheese. Uh Um, There is a very big community of Lebanese immigration to Mexico. Mm. They came in the 40s and in the 60s. This is this is a personal believing because I know it's not very popular because there's actually like this very romantic story about how Queso Oaxaca started existing uh, when a kid was burning the cheese and suddenly she, she had to put some cold water in it and start pulling. But it's a very high technical cheese and yeah. it couldn't, it couldn't came out of an accident. So, right, I really, I really like to say that because I think it's very important to recognize the immigration, mm. like what immigrants have brought to our country, because Mexico Absolutely. is also a country of immigrants, and mm-hmm. many of our cheeses have come with them. Yeah, really
4: interesting. Yes, and if you think of America, you know, so much of the immigration to North America, and you know, people bringing traditions with it, and yeah, yeah, I mean, all over the world you see you see those movements. Fascinating. And so, thinking of being a cheesemonger, Jessica, what do you? And you said in a way that you want, that people don't understand. You know, it's not really known as a as a thing. It's when when you said that, I thought. I had that reaction to being a food writer when I started writing about yes. food in England, which is quite a long time ago. And, and everyone always assumed I was a restaurant critic. And I was like, no, no, I'm a food writer. I write about food. I write yes. recipes. I write articles. I So it, would cheese have been sold in markets? How would cheese have sold widely? Or, or is there a tradition of specialist cheese shops? Or was that a more recent thing happening in Mexico?
2: A, a traditional cheese shop in terms of what we do in lactography yeah, that's very recent. Like really focusing on cheese sourcing, traceability. That's that's very kind of new. But
4: right,
2: the have always been this figure. We call it cremerias. It will be it will be translated like creamery. But yeah. they have always been in markets. So. Mm-hmm. In these cream, in this in these areas, in these shops, you will always find local cheese. Well, back, back right. in the days, like I'm talking, yeah. probably thirty years ago. Mm-hmm. Just, the thing is that our main fight in Mexico, I wouldn't even call it exportation or importation. Like the main th- the main threat for artisanal cheese and actually real cheese is analog cheese mm. is cheese being made with uh, vegetable oils fillings. We call it fillings because they are not they are not like organic normal compounds to the milk. They have mm-hmm. you know like starches, so, oh. so they, they make these mixes. Right. Um, probably back thirty years ago or forty years ago, the, the the role of cremarias was very important for cheese making because they were like the center of local source cheese, like. All the local cheesemakers will, will go and sell their cheeses in these stores. Now, the main fight of this store and actually the main fight in Mexico for real cheese is analog cheese. Analog cheese is cheese being made with starches, fillings. It's not really natural cheese. Some, some of these literally uh, formulas in, don't even have cheese, like don't even have casin in some cases. Gosh. It's, it's terrible. This... Cheeses, these artificial it's cheeses. Been, just because doing quote marks, listeners. Yes. <laughs> for the word cheese is there. Yeah. There. These artificial horrible cheeses are cheaper. Mm-hmm. So now the cremerias have been switching, and oh, no. start to yeah, they're having starting to sell these cheeses because it's cheaper. They can have mm-hmm. a bigger rate on selling them. A, really, yeah. uh, a bigger mark, sorry. That's why. I mean, some of them still being, they are still selling like local good cheese, but it's very hard to know unless you're a very trained sensory, you know, ex- expert in cheese. You yeah. will know by eating the cheese, but some people really don't know the right. difference. They yeah. don't know the sensory difference. So some are import, some are still being selling natural cheese in some markets, but some cremerias mm-hmm. probably 50 50, they will sell 50% analog. Artificial cheese, and they will sell fifty percent um, natural sour cheese. Right. So that's why some projects have been starting to pop out, like Lactography started ten years ago with the idea of, of start fighting this, the mm-hmm. the market of artificial cheese, and also because uh, as Carlos was explaining to you, some cheeses don't make don't travel well. Yeah. But as Lactography, we wanted to have Cheeses from different parts of Mexico in Mexico City, so right. Georgina developed a, a whole logistic for these cheeses to travel well. The cheese traveled, you know, consolidated, refrigerated. So we actually start doing this as experts because we wanted to create a new concept for the traditional <laughs> cheeses. So now, probably there there has been like maybe six, seven stores that want to really focus on the lactography model because they're focusing and really be, they're very passionate about cheese and I, I see it. They, they really want to start having this conversation, bringing back the good cheese in, in, right. into the people's table and yeah. also bringing these specialty cheeses that have been popping out, you know, this new uh-huh. cheese making wave, I would call it. Yeah. Yeah. So, It's kind of a hybrid now.
4: It's fascinating because, again, in Britain, I've seen, you know, like now this morning I was talking to a, you know, comparatively new... Um, cheese shop We started open just when the pandemic struck in 2020 but you know it's it's really in Manchester and it's just really interesting that in Britain a lot of uh, food shops sort of specialist food shops would disappear off a of high street because of the power of supermarkets oh. it's still very tough I think on high streets but there has been a move back where you see there are really good butchers opening there are and it's very encouraging for me who I love cheese to see that oh people are going around the country and opening up cheese shops because actually you know a good cheesemonger as you totally know Jessica, is so important for people to appreciate good cheese because this is your chance to try cheeses that have been carefully chosen carefully looked after you're sold to you by someone who's really really into them which is a very um, exciting thing and that's lovely
2: yeah i know it's it's very funny because when i explain what we do and people people really the other question that they they asked me, is that, oh, so when you travel, there's other people like you. It's just, and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, these gatherings, are, it's like the Comic Con, but of cheese. We're, we're, <laughs> <laughs> we really love cheese. Like there's passion, there's people that is passionate about food and cheese all over the world. Like good cheese, good food. So it's, it's really, it's really nice to to share your stories and also to connect people. To, mm-hmm. to the to the cheesemaker stories because that's also fascinating
4: and that's really and it's so interesting because when I talk to cheesemongers that is what they want to do they want to explain to the customer. Tell them, and and, and use that phrase, tell the story, the story of the cheese. I mean, especially, you know, when you're talking about cheeses that are made on a small scale on one farm, it's really to get that across because I think, you know, cheese like cheddar in Britain is made in many different scales of making. And so there, they would be, you know, you would taste the difference between a farmhouse Somerset cheddar and a mass produced block. Cheddar. Anyone would taste the difference because you'd feel the moisture level yeah. and and the flavor and you know they're two different things. They have got different markets, but so but of course one costs more than the other. So you have to sort of explain I mean, <laughs> the work that's gone into it and the care that's gone into making cheese on a smaller scale artisan cheese.
2: Yes, it's very important actually. Now that you're mentioning it, uh, most of artisanal cheese in Mexico is being made in the farmhouse model mm. because in Mexico's the difference in milk quality it has been it's like kind of a new concept so when cheesemakers starts started to make these kind of new styles they discover that they couldn't find the milk quality they were looking for yeah, sure. to, to, to come up with these styles so I mean, for me, they're very brave because they were like, okay, I want to do this. And then I'm going to buy the goats. I'm going to buy the the ships. I'm going yeah. to have the cows. So that's also amazing. And I love to share it with my customers and with my friends because yeah. that's also the other cool part that your customers start to being your friends because you see them like on a constant basis. They know who you are. You know who they are.
3: You yeah. know what
2: they like. And I always also like to share to them that, this cheese being is being made farmhouse. The cheesemakers only the cheesemaker only has I don't know forty goats. She's been doing this job for twenty years, and I also like the other part, you know, like the customer because you know what he wants. So you talk to him or her and you tell her like, oh, you know, your favorite cheese just arrived, or you know, I have this new cheese that they just uh, kind of invented it two weeks ago, and they want us to. To try it so would you yeah. like to come and try it with me that's that's really nice
4: you sound it's really interesting because if you're in retail ideally you should like people because uh, uh you know because otherwise you know you'll be a nightmare job because if you don't like people you are literally you know, you're rubbing up with them all the time yes. i used to be a bookseller, seller just because before i became a food writer and i love books am i you know and i would sell books that the, the publisher in those days they were reps from publishers and they would come in and go you have sold that again," and they said, and they were like, and I said, "Yeah, because I recommend it. It was a brilliant book. It was a fascinating book that I thought was great, and I recommend it with huge enthusiasm." So go, "Oh, yeah, it's selling here. I mean, it's, it's wonderful to share. To share love of something is a great thing, isn't it?"
2: Yeah, it's it's this energy that there's a very nice energy that comes from cheesemakers and also from people that that really like cheese because you can tell you can really start to identify your clients because there's people that that really 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 love cheese mm. and it's something that they put an effort to it they mm. really take the time to select very carefully what they want to bring back home yeah I think that's the most uh fulfilling parts of my job to see to help to feel the joy like I'm I'm helping for I'm, I'm I'm helping to to this person to be more happy
4: Wonderful. You sound like you found the perfect role for you. And, uh, and it was fascinating to hear. You know, I hope this sort of exciting revival um, in Mexican cheese continues. Thank you so much. I'm a huge fan of Peter's Yard's crackers and they go beautifully with cheese. All Peter's Yard's crackers are made in small batches using quality natural ingredients and their sourdough starter, slowly fermented for 16 hours for award-winning flavour and crunch
1: online on smart speakers and on listen again this is food fm
3: savor the crunch of Peter's yard sourdough crackers available at waitrose sainsbury's morrison's ocado amazon and specialist food retailers
4: this week on a slice of cheese we're talking about a subject close to my heart which is cheesemongers and we're talking to cheesemongers which i think is very important and all the way from San Francisco, I'm thrilled to have with me Gordon Edgar, cheesemonger at the Rainbow Grocery in San Francisco. Hello, Gordon. Hello, thanks for joining us. I know it's very early for you. I appreciate that Gordon. I was interested really in getting some insights into what you'd seen in your in your years selling cheese and tell me a little bit about how you started as a cheesemonger. Was it something? Totally new to you when you began?
0: Um, yeah, no, it was totally unexpected starting in cheese, to be honest. I was living in San Francisco and, um, you know, there's this great grocery store called Rainbow Grocery Cooperative, which is a, uh, it's a worker cooperative. And at that point it had a hundred worker owners and I just wanted to work there. And the opening happened to be in cheese. Um, so I'm one of those people who kind of stumbled into cheese. I mean, I liked cheese just fine, but you know, I, it wasn't until I started working with it that I became a little obsessed and a little. It uh, <laughs> Does <familiar>. happen. <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the great thing about cheese; and there's just so much to learn about it. It's a very fascinating food.
0: There's more to learn with cheese. That's the thing.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and what so were you? We did that involve what sort of cheeses were you sending? Let's give a sense of then and now.
0: You know, the uh, you know it's funny. I mean, the American cheese uh, uh, world has really changed. I mean, I've been working. I started in 1994, so you know. Mm. I'm approaching my my 29th year. You know, at the beginning, um, it was mostly American commodity styles, you know, cheddar, jack, stuff like that. And then the quote unquote specialty cheeses were, uh, were usually European and usually large production European. You know, there was no distinction at that moment really between you know, oh, it's a French brie. It must be fancy, you know, between, you know, very, very large production and very, very small. Right. But, you know, we had a lot of customers in those days, the people who were very interested in good cheese, a lot of them just wouldn't even buy American products. You know, there's quality. They felt like the quality wasn't there. And for the most mm-hmm. part, they were, they were right. You know, but then um, then as things moved on, there had been, you know, seeds planted in the 70s and 80s that really led to this kind of great American artisanal cheese moment um mm. well. and uh, and so over the course of my time um you know our case especially the you know what we call in america the specialty case really transformed from being you know almost all european to uh being more american than european Fantastic. Um, that's that's really changed in, in my yeah
4: thank because i think in a way the british and american cheese scenes marriage on this is like i've in my decades writing about food which is over 30 years and so and and I've seen a lot of British cheesemakers start up and develop and you know and yeah and there's been this a scene has developed and is and there's been an audience I mean it's funny because there used to be very French food was totally you know on a pedestal and and so and British food wasn't you know when I started writing about food in Britain and yet and then slowly so, you know, there was this realisation that gosh you know we actually have got fantastic food producers and people making great cheeses like someone like Jamie Montgomery or um, or Graham Kirkham you know the wonderful cheddar in Lancashire mm-hmm. and and a shop like Neil's Yard Dairy did a huge amount in Britain to to make that connection for consumers I think. So anyway, what's fascinating, about, I think about a cheese shop, is that you, you know, I do sort of feel that like cheese shops are portals for their customers because you can, you're a way into the world of cheese, aren't you? That you can, is that something that you enjoy yourself, and do you take that sort of
0: seriously? Oh, a- absolutely. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, first off, there's nothing like that connection you make with a customer when they're asking you about uh, a cheese, and you're like, oh yeah, well, when I visited there. <laughs> and mm. talk to the baker, you know, um, and then it's it just becomes this whole thing. It, it doesn't even it's not even about selling the cheese anymore. It's um, people are interested in the story and they want to know, oh, you you know, you've been there. What is it like? You know, I don't know, whatever. You know, how many cows are there? Yes. you know, What's the landscape yeah. like? You know, all those questions. And, um, you know, the 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 you know, sale is um, is, uh, you know, already done at that point. People are just more interested in the process and the history and the, and the food itself. So, yeah, I mean, I really I feel like that's kind of the most Im- enjoyable part of the the job. And also just, you know, trying to represent well the people who are trying to do something um, really special. Uh, yeah. Explain that to customers. And, you know, it's it's you know, it's a retail environment. You know, so there's times when you have 30 seconds to say that and <laughs> you're not really going to going to do it justice but you know, you try to give little tidbits and little like um, you know Easter eggs or whatever. You know, you know people people will want to hear. You know, oh, that's interesting. I want to know more about that. Yeah. Um, and so um, yeah, no, it's it's really one of my favorite parts of the job. Do
4: you taste out the cheeses?
0: We yeah. do. Um, we always have a few cheeses behind the counter that we're um, that we're sampling out for the day. So wow. regulars know they come in and they're just, they're just like, Oh, what do you got today? You know, um, <laughs> we will give tastes of anything, but we, you know, just for, um, you know, honestly for ease, ease of uh, work, you know, we yeah, always sure. you that are, yeah, have some set up so that it's, it's, it's easier, but yeah, you know, that's, and those are the cheeses we usually sell the most of that day. I mean, you oh, know, it's, yeah. it's, 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 you know, people will come in for their staples for sure. But, but, you know, it's like, Oh, what are you tasting today? Oh yeah. Yeah. Here, try this. Here's the story. Here's the cheese. And, you know, so how
4: many cheeses do you stock at that rainbow?
0: Oh, boy. Um, it, you know, it's, you know, we're also a grocery store. So we carry, you know, some prepackaged stuff, organic stuff, all yeah. that kind of stuff. At any given point where um, we've got 300 active SKUs, wow. but, you know, in terms of like fine cheese, it's more like, uh, you know, 100,
4: 150. Gosh, it's, so that's a lot of yeah. cheese knowledge to have isn't it yeah. i mean to keep on top
0: of it well you know and and with us and i don't want to get too particular to our store because i know you're talking general but you know because we're we're a worker cooperative people tend to stick around and so oh. you know, there was one point where you know we had five people with nearly 20 years experience in cheese which, wow um that's not true anymore just because people have have moved on and gotten yeah. older and stuff but but you know we really uh try to carry on that generation and keep uh, or keep that knowledge over the generation yeah
2: so, and keep that that's sort of things
4: because I worked in a bookshop before I was a food writer and actually the power yes. of recommendation, you know, because I worked in a bookshop because I love books, which is you know, then I was when people would ask me about oh yeah, this is great, you know, and that's <laughs> and that is very real, I think. I and mean, it's quite interesting, I noticed now that bookshops have really taken away the booksellers, which is really sad. So you don't have you had such sort of knowledge, you would have someone in charge of gardening and they knew the gardening book. So someone came in, they would you know, they would remember and go, oh, Yes, that's that and you know, yes you can get it. And that's all gone now. And I really think it's sad.
0: Oh, well, you know, we're all going to be replaced by apps sooner or later. So. <laughs>
4: yes, I know. Yes. <laughs> I
0: mean, I'm just waiting for that. I just, shouldn't say this because maybe somebody will take me up on it. But I'm waiting for somebody just, you know, you know, get you walk in, you got a QR code, you download your cheesemonger app for the store, and they tell you what to buy. I mean, it's just a matter. Of time. You know, and, <laughs> it's only a matter of
4: time, isn't it? It's like we well, have good. Got Silicon Valley very close to you. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Do you also do affinage? Do you mature your cheese
0: as well? uh, we do, uh, what I consider harm reduction off and off. <laughs> 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 Um, we, uh, we do not do our own, um, off and off. I would not call it that, but, you know, certainly when stuff comes in, we evaluate it and we say, Oh, you know, not quite ripe. You know, we'll leave it back here for a little bit, uh, right. you know, a little too wet. You know, we'll try to dry it out, you know, stuff like yeah. that. It's real harm reduction. It's not, it's not, it's not professional. <laughs> right, no, that's interesting. I mean, whole, cheese,
4: no. <laughs> it's a complex food to sell isn't it you know would cheese makers approaching saying we're making this cheese you know we've just we we're in california we're making a wonderful gates cheese would you like to sell it is is that do that happen
0: oh yeah all, all the time and it especially yeah. happened in the 90s um and early 2000s right. um you know unfortunately i mean there's a little bit of a um, a thing that happens when um customer expectations rise you know back in the 90s um you know we would just say oh, this is a new goat cheese from California and people would just buy it, even if it wasn't that good. Of course, good. it was Californian, right? Well, because it was Californian also because a lot of people wanted to support, you know, oh, cheese. So they'd yeah. be like, yeah, okay, you know, this is going to be kind of different from time to time and not necessarily in a good way. You know, not, not in an <laughs> awesome way, but in the like kind of, oh, this batch wasn't as good as the last batch. Yeah. And people would support that. I mean, we had a lot of people who'd just be like, okay, I'm just going to buy it every week. And we're you wow. know, moving forward because, you know, they, they saw, they understood that cheese is a, 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 making cheese is a process that takes time and not just in the cheese itself, but in the knowledge yes. of the cheese maker. And, um, and they wanted to support that. But I would say that now, because the customer base has higher expectations for American cheese in particular, there's not as much room in the market for developing your cheese. Um, I I tell people often that, you know, you kind of have to develop it in like farmers markets and local market before you can get into our store. Because if somebody comes in and tastes your cheese and it's got some, it's good, it's okay, but it's got some bitter notes or something that people don't Mm -hmm. like. Um, they're not going to buy it again. And you've just ruined your chance to sell your cheese in our store. I mean, oh, that's a good point. Um, so you
4: need to sort of, yeah. So it's really, hard, you've got to hit the ground. You've got to sort of get to a point where you you have, I mean, obviously cheeses do vary, but a certain level of consistency and quality has got it, to be there then, yeah?
0: Yeah, and and also, you know, I mean, I'll be honest, you know, cheesemakers, you know, when they start out, they I've tasted a lot more cheese than cheesemakers have, you know, and, um, and so I know kind of our market, and I'm not trying to, to brag, I'm just saying yeah. that, That like somebody will bring something in and they won't notice necessarily the same defects if they're, you know, if they're a farmer who's just being like, okay I need another source of income. I want to try to make cheese. They don't necessarily know what the market is expecting or what customers are expecting. And so it's my job as a cheesemonger to help explain that to them and why people would buy or not buy their cheese and have a real honest conversation about that. Um, and you know, the people who don't take it well, honestly, they're not going to make it as cheese makers (laughs) because, you know, you gotta, you know, you gotta know what people are looking for. And, um, and, and I have that experience and that's what I can give to them. I don't have experience in, you know, raising, uh, farm animals. I don't have experience in making cheese. I don't have experience in, you know, all those other aspects that they're doing, but you know, what I'm there for is to be that, um, that bridge between the consumer and the maker.
4: Again thinking how large America is is it larger californian cheeses that you're getting for your
0: Mar- or do you cheese do you get cheese from other bits of the states coming to yeah. you as well? no we definitely get cheese from all over the United States um and sometimes it's some sometimes those things are hard to get you know to be honest you know sometimes I have to build our own distribution to get them to get them direct. Mm. but uh yeah you know we because of the you know, historic dominance of Europe in the American uh, specialty cheese market. California cheeses are obviously our local cheeses, but, you know, California's a big state, too. <laughs> and um, and but, you know, in some ways, anything from America is a local cheese compared to being from Europe. Yeah. So it's kind of those different standards. But, yeah, we carry a lot of cheeses from other states, you know, tr- you know the traditional cheese-making states, you know, Wisconsin and Vermont and California. Right. But also, you know, a lot of good stuff from states that t- haven't traditionally been big in cheese-making. I mean, some of our best- So it's still cheese-
4: carrying on. There is a sort of flourishing, this, you know, this interest in cheese. More and more people presumably are
0: starting to make cheese, are they? And it's sort yeah. of, it's a scene growing still. Well, and it's, and it's even more complicated than that if you want to, get into it but you know it's like a lot of these you know original producers um, you know a lot of them were hippie back to the Landers and then they grew older and they want to retire um, and a lot of these companies that really made the artisan American originally small production cheese scene um, have now sold to European companies oh, um, and so they're much um, it's a much more' <laughs> it's a much less local thing. Um, I mean, you know, and, and there's lots of dynamics in this probably too much for this show, but Hey, I'm, I'm I'm game. But, um, but you know, so a lot of the places that originally were selling these cheeses that really became like the new American cheeses, you know, people are looking for stuff that's more, more, uh, you know, made on the farm, more, um, small production than that. And they're constantly seeking that out And and I and, you know, they're like, oh, that cheese, you know, I've been eating that cheese for 20 years. What's new? Um, and I'll be like, oh, here's this amazing cheese from Indiana. You know, here's this amazing cheese from North Carolina. You know, um, stuff that, that just wouldn't have been in the California market, you know, even at 10 years ago, probably.
4: Yes. Do you always keep an eye out for cheese? I mean, is that a sort of, you know, like a hazard of your job that even if you're on holiday, you're going oh there's you know use a look in shops or look on menus or notice
0: are you drawn to cheese oh a- absolutely and you know I, I mean i really i mean most of the trips that i have taken in my life have always involved like a stop I'm like oh well we're going to atlanta let's go i'm gonna spend a day going to this place you know going to visit sweetgrass farm you know like all these all these places i always i always yeah. try to get in a farm trip and and i can't help looking at stores um You know, I mean, sometimes to my detriment, but, um, you know, I, I could be going to a museum, but instead I'm at a cheese
2: shop.
4: You know. <laughs> <laughs> yes i'm always battling my husband when we were on holiday cause i'm like oh we're getting there there's a very soon food producer and he's just like we're on holiday <laughs> i'm like um, you gotta eat
0: on holiday i mean you can't not exactly,
4: eat. <laughs> exactly and what and with your color, i mean one of the joys again of working in a shop is when you have is your nice customers your i mean not all customers are nice <laughs> i know that i hate to say it. but um do you have lovely regular customers that it's a pleasure given how long you've worked there that you've got a relationship with
0: oh you know yeah absolutely i mean things really jumbled around during COVID. A lot of people moved yeah. out of our city. Um, and so we lost a lot of regulars, but, um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of people who I see every week. Um, and, you know, it's, I know what they like, you know, and, and, you know, even if I know they're pretty much going to buy the same thing every week, you know, I, I'd be like, Hey, try this. This is a new, uh, and a different version of what you like already. It's also really helpful for, um, for bringing in new cheeses because, You know, a lot of times when I bring in a a new cheese, I'm already like, okay, these five, six customers I know are going to buy a piece of this. You know, I I can kind of know their profile and know the profile of the cheese and kind of match them up. Um, And, um, you know, sometimes they mess me up. They go on vacation and I'm like, hey, wait, (laughs) I was going to sell this cheese to you, but now you're gone. You know, but (laughs) but yeah, no, regulars are the lifeblood of any any shop for sure. You know, you got to have your regulars and we and we when we train new people new workers at the store we say you know one of your goals is develop regulars develop people mm-hmm. who come in and and they look at me and i don't work that day generally so they just ignore me to talk to somebody else that's what we want you know, even if they've been there a year and I've been there 29 years, I want people to think I'm the new guy. You know, if that's their regular, <laughs> that's cool.
4: <laughs> I mean, something, one of the things I like about going to a cheese shop is, I mean, obviously not at Christmas or at busy times, but, you know, often it is, there is a sort of leisureliness to it. And the person will know is the person behind the counter who's tried the cheese. So they'll go, oh, this is loving this. And you get to try. So you learn a lot that way. You know, I learn a lot as a customer that
0: way, which I really like. Yeah, and that's one of, the, one of the joys of the job, really. I mean. You know, and, and other, there's people who have seem grown up. I mean, you know, you know, I have just just the other day, uh, you know, we have a relatively new worker and, you know, this 10 year old girl comes into the shop. She looks at him and she's like, you're new here because <laughs> 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 she's been shopping there with her mom since she was born, you know, and she knows probably more about cheese than most of our customers, you know um and uh, it's just it's funny that that my, our new worker got hazed by a 10 year old but you know that's 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 what we want We want people to be shopping there for so long that their kids are growing up in the store
4: yeah that is perfect so so that sort of chance that took you i mean the desire to work in a cooperative environment that took you into cheese it's it's been that was a good decision then wasn't it
0: oh yeah i think so i hope so because i've been there for almost 30 years i mean it's it's been my life
4: <laughs> yeah
0: are you telling me to question my life decisions
4: Jenny? yeah, no, I'm trying to affirm them. <laughs> You've written books about cheese yourself, haven't you?
0: Uh, yeah, um, I, I've, I've written two cheese books. Um, the, the first one uh, was called Cheesemonger, um, A Life on the Wedge. <laughs> um, <laughs> Great title. you got to work a pun there somewhere. Um, and that one, you know, it's funny because that was uh, kind of started with just, it was actually an attempt to have a longer conversation with customers um, because a lot of times people would ask me, Questions that I just didn't have time for in the retail environment. You know, there's other people hovering around busy day, and um, and also at that moment there wasn't a lot of good recent information about cheese in in the book or At least when I started working on the project, and um, so you know, it's just kind of trying to give basics and humorous stories about working um, retail because you know I you know it's, I didn't want to create a dry book. It's kind of part memoir, part you know these are the basics of cheese. You know, and at that time, you know, when that came out in 2010, you know, it was very much like that kind of memoir workbook was it uh, was very much a, a trend at that time. Yeah. Too. So, you know, it, it kind of was trying to use the, the form of memoir to talk about uh, to teach people about cheese, you know. Um, and then the second book I did was called Cheddar. Um, and honestly, that was my attempt to answer the questions about um, that I had. Not that the customers had, but that I had of like, why is American cheese the way it is? I mean, why, why did I come into the world of cheese in the, in the early 90s? And we didn't have the traditions of, you know, the like English territorials or, you know, French Conte or, you know, all these, all these historic cheeses. We just didn't have that. Um, and then I realized, you know, the story was really about, uh, US made cheddar and the industrialization of, of cheese mm. is what the United States led the world in. Um, right. You know, you know, and that's you know for good or bad, and I think probably bad. Um, the you know that's what the United States is really good at, you know. Yes. Uh, and uh, you know, so that was like an interesting journey about watching the original transformation, you know, in the mid 1800s of cheesemaking to become industrial. Um, and, and also, you know, on a side note, all the cooperation involved between the, you know, the United States, Canada, England, people sharing all their best practices in the mid 1800s to start creating cheddar in a way that was really good. And of course, these factories, you know, that we're saying factory, um, you know, all these factories we consider artisan production at this point. Um, but, uh, you know, watching that go in the United States to a real consolidation of, of industry and a real you know, dumbing down of cheese, um, making making the protein more and more and more efficient, but having less and less and less distinction and flavor. Um, it was a really interesting thing to to look at uh, in, in a systematic way. And that's that's what cheddar is about. So, yeah, yeah, the, my cheese books. <laughs>
1: Excellent.
4: Brilliant. Oh, well, listen, Gordon, thank you for your time. It's so nice to have you on the program. Um, and I really appreciate those, those insights you shared. Thank you.
0: Oh, sure. No, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, You know, I'm I'm glad you didn't ask me my favorite American cheeses because people always get mad. (laughs) I was like, I was was like, geez, I hope if you ask me that, I hope you don't have any American listeners because I'll always hear from, oh, you didn't mention me on the show.
4: Yes, that's tricky territory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I'll never, never do that to you. So yeah, it was, I mean, I think that's interesting. I find it quite I would find it very hard to pick one favourite I've got sort of pet, yeah. I call them pet cheeses. They're I'm particularly fond of.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
4: of which they're quite I've... a number. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, well, thanks. I'm always here if you need me.
4: All right. Take care, yeah. Gordon. Thank you so much. Yeah. Bye bye. A number of leading cheesemongers and food shops stock Peter's Yard crackers. Among them is Rennet and Rind in Cambridge, noted for championing lovingly ripened artisan British cheeses. Chief of cheese at Rennet and Rind is Perry Wakeman, first ever winner of Britain's Affineur of the Year award. Find out more about Rennet and Rind over on the Peter's Yard website on their Speciality Spotlight section.
1: Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM.
3: Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon and specialist food retailers.
4: This week on A Slice of Cheese, we're going on a journey around the world, talking to cheesemongers in different parts of the world. I'm very happy to have with me today, Julia Trillo, a fromager at Cheese Boutique in Toronto, Canada. Hello, Julia.
6: Hi, Jenny. Thank you for having me today.
4: No, it's to have you. I'm really interested to hear your story. I mean, I actually wanted to start with your specific story of how you got into cheese. So I'm always interested to hear that.
6: So I actually worked at a supermarket and I actually started off as a cashier and I was so bad at it that my manager pretty much wanted to fire me and took pity on me and moved me to the cheese department. Um, And from there, you know, no one else really had a passion for it. And I started getting really interested in it. I didn't realize there were so many different styles. I mean, Mm. I grew up on craft singles and, you know, processed cheese. So my love for it kind of grew from there. And then, you know, supermarket can only take you so far. So I started looking for somewhere where I could kind of grow my passion a little bit. And I found Cheese Boutique in Toronto, Uh, which has been open for 52 years. Uh, It's fourth generation.
2: Yeah, fantastic. Um,
6: And just an amazing family, super, super, like, old world in their ways. So, you know, treating staff like family, you know. Lovely. Big emphasis on teaching customers um, about cheeses, not just, uh, you know, kind of putting stuff out pre-wrapped to sell,
4: I mean, that's the interesting point. I think, you know, one of the reasons um, on this podcast I really like to talk to cheesemongers is I think a good, a good cheese shop is such an amazing way for people to discover the world of cheese because there is a big difference between craft cheese that's been carefully made and carefully matured um, and looked after. And then someone who, you know, and again, if you go to a cheese shop, the fun is that if the person behind the counter loves cheese, which often they do, it attracts people who love love what they're selling, then you can have this lovely conversation and you can learn about it. And so, you, so it's very much a sort of exploration, I think.
6: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I almost, I almost feel like a cheese babysitter because, you know, when you receive the <laughs> cheese, it's like, okay, the cheese has been made, the cheese has been aged. Your job now is take care of that cheese, make sure it's being stored properly, making sure, you know, you're selling this cheese to customers. I like to get different Cheeses in like pretty often, um, sourcing out stuff that's different because we have customers that are always looking for something new. The most exciting part of the journey as well is teaching the story behind these cheeses because there's a lot of love that goes into
4: it. Very true. And so, roughly, how many cheeses would you stock in that Cheese Boutique? So our
6: selection changes pretty frequently, but we carry over five hundred different cheeses.
4: Oh my goodness, that yeah. is huge. We have a lot that's of very Yes, you're amazing. And do those cheeses come from? Different parts of the world? Is there a, you know, are there Canadian cheeses and Europe? Is, is Europe represented, for example?
6: Oh, yeah, for sure. So we we try to do a big focus point on Canadian cheeses because I think it's very important to support local and domestic dairy, especially after COVID when everything was kind of uncertain. So we have a large cheese counter of over like 100, 150 Canadian cheeses. And then wow. we we do a big focus on Spanish, Italian, French, English. We do have a few Australian cheeses. Um, oh, wow. Uh, we do get a few Greek cheeses in as well. I think um, the difficult thing being in Canada is trying to source out, you know, more of the raw, old old world artisanal cheeses. Um, yeah. Just because there is a lot of misinformation about raw milk cheeses in Canada still, and there's still a lot of fear
4: behind it. That's um, interesting. Parmigiano is, you know, is a raw milk cheese, isn't it, legally? I'm guessing, does that sell well in Canada?
6: Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. the thing, right, we have so many different kind of customers. You'll Like with 500 different cheeses too, you're going to find something for everybody.
4: Yes, how interesting. So, you know, you've got, as a cheesemonger, you've got to know your cheeses so, so in 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 a lot of senses because you have to care for them correctly. You have to know that, you know, where, the, where they're from, how they, you know, have some insights into how they're made, the milk. It's a lot of information. So is, is that something that you enjoy then, that side of
3: it?
6: Oh yeah, it's like my favorite thing. I have I have a really good network of friends in the Canadian cheese uh, industry, and I love learning from other people. I have a friend who does, who runs the Canadian Cheese Collective. I've uh, two friends actually run it, and they love to bring people together for education purposes. Because um, nice. you know we're kind of a smaller, but we're like a tight knit group of people here.
4: Is there you know are they artisan cheesemakers always you know as they've been a bit of if I look at America, you know, there was this sort of, you can see there was a rise of sort of artisan, a flowering of sort of artisan cheesemakers. And has the same thing happened in Canada?
6: I think with uh, the U.S. is definitely a lot bigger than Canada is. Canada's getting there, though. You know, Quebec Quebec obviously has hundreds of cheesemakers. Cheese is kind of in their blood there. So mm-hmm. lots of uh, French-style cheeses. Ontario, we have a lot of, uh, like, Dutch and Swiss Cheesemakers, like people oh. that have come from Holland, yeah. uh, Dutch families that are making like Gouda, other uh, Gouda styles, yeah. and everything like that yeah. as well. But I think people are becoming more interested in it. Like the food scene in Toronto is definitely booming. You know, I get chefs and restaurants that reach out to me all the time, looking to expand their menus and come up with custom cheese menus so it's kind of fun bringing them into the store too and kind of educating them because then they bring that back to their customers yeah. and then those customers come to the store looking for those products as well so it's kind of helping expand the knowledge of all the people in Toronto as well
4: and do you, um you know do you get in Britain there are quite a lot of People are still, you know, setting up as cheesemakers and making new cheeses. I've, I've seen, I've been writing about food for a long time, so I've seen a lot of that happen. Do people come and sort of seek you out and bring in cheeses they're making to try and, you know, get in that, you know, get sort of feature in Cheese Boutique?
6: Well, that's kind of the fun part of working at a store that's been open for 52 years. Uh, the owners know a lot of people and a lot of people know us. So we get people mm. to come in all the time bringing us cheeses and It's my favorite trying new stuff as well. Like I absolutely love it, Um, especially when it's like, you know, someone, someone that's just starting off and they're really passionate about what they have to offer. We're lucky to like, we have, we have a couple cheesemakers that are only like an hour or two away from Toronto. So I go on day trips often. I try to visit the cheesemakers and, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into it. And I don't think people really realize that. So it's great to kind of see that process and then bring it back to the customers
4: as well. Yeah, a lot of work in the, for the cheesemakers. Yes, yeah, yes, exactly. I take that. Yeah. So, do you do affinage at, at cheese boutique, or is that part of what you're doing? Or yeah, yeah we actually have a cheese cave in the store, oh, great. and
6: we can store like up to 400 wheels in there at a time. So we have all of our aged cheeses, our Goudas, Manchegos, um, lots of Swiss cheeses. Which is awesome too, because when customers come in, we're offering them a product that's not just kind of the standard what you would get. It's also something that's going to be aged a little bit longer. Like, um, mm. you know, for example, a couple of years ago, we brought in like 200 reels of Gouda, and they've been aging for two years. So when yeah. that wheel is open, it's going to be amazing.
4: Yes, how exciting! Will that be? Is that giving me a sort of Christmas? Is that a sort of? Will that be a winter thing that you offer it to your customers? We usually just
6: like doing special releases every now and then just to get people kind of excited. We do bring in like the big torpedoes of aged provolone as well, the Eurekio provolone. So we get Uh the ones that are like, oh God, like they go from the floor to the ceiling. They're like a foot across. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Those are fun to open, but very hard to open. (laughs)
4: And what, what about sorry? I'm being patriotic here. British cheeses, which you did mention, do they have do they feature in the shop? Not
6: as many as I would wish. Um, I was actually in uh, in the UK this past October uh, for oh. the World Cheese Awards. I was. Judging.
4: Oh, I was there too. Oh yes, oh, that really. There was so many people. Shame oh, we didn't it. meet. Um, <laughs>
6: yeah, there That a was
4: lot an amazing experience, wasn't it? Oh,
6: yeah. it was fabulous. It was my first time going, and I was just overwhelmed. It was like. It was like the Oscars of cheese because there's just like every cheese celebrity there, and it's like yeah. if you're not in the cheese world, it wouldn't really be like <laughs> you no know, as so excited. Exciting. But, <laughs> but um, you know, I try, I went to Neal's Neil, Yard Dairy. I went to wow. um, Mon's Cheesemonger, and I tried so many British cheeses that you just can't get here. And it's just, wow. I think yeah. it has to do with um, non-EU quota, especially now with. Yeah. Uh, Brexit, and then you know the the I guess the market for it is just not there as well. So we get kind of the more standard kind yeah. of grocery store brands, which can be disappointing. I'm really trying to push certain distributors to kind of bring over some more exciting stuff because I think it really would sell. And you know, customers are really familiar with a lot of the artisanal cheeses. You know, clothbound Cheshire's, Wensleydales. Mm, I would yeah. love to get more in. That's for sure.
4: Uh, yeah, but it's an interesting point about just the you know, the realities of trade and logistics and customs barriers and export. It's sort of Catch 22, isn't it? Because, you know, how can you create demand if you can't offer it? Can, if people can't try it, how can they know that they want it? And then how can you, how does somebody know that it's worth distributing? I'm pleased to hear that Canada's got this sort of thriving scene. And is that something that you, do people, are there different styles? It seems as I assume as as that the originality of the, the cheese making, so it reflected the, the heritage of people who'd come to Canada then, the cheese making traditions they'd brought with them, is that right?
6: Yeah, it's a lot of uh, European styles with kind of a Canadian twist on them. One of my favourite cheeses is a cheese from Prince Edward Island. It's uh, Scottish-style cloth-bound cheddar, but it kind of has this Canadian twist to it in that it tastes like buttered potatoes, which is what mm. Prince Edward Island is known for. They have a really rich soil there, so uh-huh. potatoes is like their main industry there. You know, kind of bringing this unique sense of Canadian terroir with these yeah. old world recipes
4: lovely and do you have cheese boutique sounds like quite a place do you offer sort of cheese evenings are they events for your customers oh, yeah. and,
6: we do after yeah. shopping events we do um after hour we actually have an after hour um event today uh where we are doing like stations so we have like focuses on you know different cheese at different uh menus with different cheeses involved um a lot of canadian Canadian cheeses that we try to focus on. Uh, we also have um, private events for wine clubs. We do t- private tours. We call them our vault tours because we bring them into the cheese cave. So, yeah, we do lots of exciting stuff. There's a lot of stuff we yeah. can do in the store with a with such a great space and uh, so many different things to op- uh, offer a lot of different uh, knowledge as well. Uh, the owner, Afram, he's a maitre from Alger, so he is just chock full of knowledge as well
4: wonderful so it sounds like so you how many years have you been there now julia this will be my 10th year there fantastic so you've, you've totally sort of enjoying your cheese journey aren't you oh, yeah.
6: i'm honestly so spoiled I'm so blessed to be there it's amazing and do you then if you go around to
4: friends do they expect you to bring the cheese with you oh yeah you
6: <laughs> that's my life but i'm okay with that i like that because you know a lot of my friends aren't as familiar with cheeses my Boyfriend's an electrician, he doesn't know anything about cheese, but he will eat anything I bring home. So,
4: oh, good, he's that's like
6: what
4: my nanny. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Yes, no, I mean, I think that's the thing, isn't it? When you really love something, I always I'm, I get quite evangelistic, you know, about a book I've read or something I've seen or a shop I love, you know, a food shop I love. I'm very fond of, I mean, I love good food shops, and the first book I ever wrote was about independent food shops in London really um, pre internet i have to say to young people when information was you know it wasn't online at the time yeah. it was either in books or oral and uh, and feed, I mean, a food shop is a very precious thing i mean it sounds like you've obviously got you must have fantastic regular customer base i'm guessing
6: oh yeah for sure i have uh, i have customers that are constantly asking me to source out stuff too so that that kind of becomes a challenge but in a way it's kind of fun as well because i can If I can't get something they're looking for, I can source something out that I think they might like. And then when customers come back and they're really happy about something that they had, it's amazing. And it it starts such an amazing dialogue with them as well, you know, about how many delicious cheeses we have to offer in Canada and from
4: around the world. Brilliant. Well, Julia, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. That was a, You've got a lovely infectious enthusiasm for, for what you do. Awesome. <laughs> a real yeah. pleasure.
6: Thanks for having me, Jenny. I was really excited. Take
4: care then. Thank you, Julia. Thank you.
1: Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM.
4: This week on A Slice of Cheese, we're talking to cheesemongers around the world. And of course, we want to talk to a British cheesemonger. So very happy to have with me today, Chris Hallam, manager of Chilton Cheesemongers in Manchester. Good morning, Chris. Morning. Chris, I was really interested because one of the things I've noticed which makes me really happy is that new good cheese shops are opening up in Britain. Despite it, you know, it's not easy to be a food shop on the high street. And good, you know, having a mm-hmm. good cheese shop makes, if you like cheese, you know, this is a sort of wonderful thing because it allows you access to cheese that have been properly cared for. Tell me a little bit about the story of yeah. Chort and Cheesemongers. Um Yes, tell me how it came about, and then tell me when you opened.
3: I, uh, my my involvement with cheese, I, I'd like to say, is, is goes back decades. It doesn't. I went down to London to do an MA uh, and had to earn money, uh, and got a job at Neil's Yard to earn money, and kind of fell in love with the cheese, but also kind of fell in love with the Culture of cheese. Ch- Chorn cheese. When came back, because when we when I left London, left London, came back up to Manchester, um, I started doing Christmas markets with Graham Kirkham of um, Kirkham's Lancashire, Mrs. Kirkham's Lancashire. I think I did that for three Christmases. Oh, and we did a few few festivals, few events as well together. Um, kind of during that time, we we chatted about why hasn't Manchester got a more focused cheese shop. So instead of being a deli, right. it is actually just yes. a shop which is dedicated just to cheese and yep. dedicated to that culture of cheese, which I love and which Graham loves and which Graham is kind of, you know, deep in there on, you know, he's part of that, that culture, Absolutely. he's made that culture.
2: Yeah.
3: And then we talked talk to, you know, it all came up. And at the same time, conversations started with Neil's Yard and it kind of seemed an obvious thing that, The time was right to open up such a cheese shop in Manchester. So I don't suppose we were talking about this in 2018, 19, and Mm -hmm. then started putting it together and then actually got the place and started renovating it in April 2020, which is a, a date indelible on most people's minds now um but that was the start yes, of the pandemic of the pand- we started actually yes, renovating yes
4: time to open a no, shop it's not it, it
3: my mind because uh that was the time we started putting it all together and in some respects as i say the pandemic took second place to running the shop it didn't but because we were so focused on it every you know we'd, we'd spent two years putting it together there was no way the Ooh. pandemic was going to put us off so we kind of doubled down on our focusing and. Uh, made it work. Most definitely made it work.
4: I mean, it must have been tricky with lockdown, because you presume there were times when you couldn't work on the shop physically.
3: We kind of spent a lot of time looking very closely at what all the government guidelines was. And actually, you could work. And because we were a food shop, you could work. We lost a couple of contractors who said they couldn't work. But then we found other ones right. who, like us, and kind of read the regulations and went, yeah, it's fine, we can come out and do it. So I used to work in theatre, so as we used to say, um, the right people turned up at the right time. And they were the people who put it all together, and that was great. I mean, as, as you point out, you know, food shops, people could shop in food shops, so that's great. Yeah. How has Manchester received, Chorlton Cheesemongers? Oh, extremely well. I mean, we we kind of we kind of felt that Chorlton was going to be the right place, uh, and it, it was. It's it's kind of always had that vibe, a slightly more arty, more, more bohemian vibe, and I think we kind of hit the right time, or we've kind of you know we, we're riding on that current wave of. People wanting to be connected to their food, to understand their food, mm. to be more maybe responsible about the food they they eat and the food they buy. Yeah. That and South Manchester and Chawton particularly was a good place where that where that where that vibe is kind of very strong. You know, there's some great. Um, you know, there's a, we're next door to a fantastic fishmongers. You know, you know the best fish, oh, fishmongers good. in the northwest. Just up the road, <laughs> there's a. Big, I know, I know. They are amazing. Just up the road, five minutes walk away, is a big whole food co-op, one of the biggest whole food co-ops in the Northwest. So there's already that culture there of people being interested and caring about their food. So what we want to do is kind of just a... Yeah, which is really amazing because
4: you need people who are prepared to, you know, if you're an independent food shop, you need people, you know, or a market, you need people who are going to come and take the time to do that sort of shopping. Um,
3: because maybe, yeah yeah it's very important isn't it and we we looked at the city center when we we're looking for property we we're looking at the city center and there's uh, and there is one area where it would have worked um, and there's an absolutely brilliant butchers up there an independent butchers and we kind of would like to have been next to them but actually as it happens it was the right choice because obviously the city center just completely shut down so we were in a, already in a community. Mm-hmm. And I think, Brilliant. again, that sort of fits in with my culture of cheese and culture of food, that it sort of has to be in a community. Food has food is about community, so it kind of has to be there. You know, I think there's ways we could work in the city centre and there are things we are thinking about how we might be able to do that. But I think primarily we are a community-based shop.
4: When you use that term cheese culture that you found so attractive, and you worked in the dairy, didn't you, in London?
3: When I was doing my M.A., my MA was in theatre directing. i worked in theatre for 30-odd years. And my kind of thinking about what theatre should do was it was becoming stronger and stronger in the idea of theatre in, in communities. So small-scale mm-hmm. stuff, simple things, simple stories, the importance of connecting your message from theatre, whatever that is, your story from theatre, of directly connecting it with an audience. When I started working at Neil's Yard, that's that's what cheese suddenly made sense to me. It was that connection from Ooh. the farm to the customer, the food to the person eating it. And the more I kind of got involved in in, in looking at cheesemakers and looking at their farms and understanding how the farms, how they fitted into their farms and those farms fitted into communities, it just all kind of made sense, and I certainly felt that it was, for me at that time, and now I've completely left theatre, for me it was more, it felt more important to tell those stories through food Hmm. than through theatre. Yeah,
4: well it's Um, a very direct and powerful um, communication device for you, isn't
3: it? It's it's maybe a bit, I don't know if that's pretentious or it's putting too much emphasis on it, but I grew up I grew up in the countryside. I grew up in rural Lincolnshire. Then I kind of went off to the bright lights and whatever, whatever you want to call it. I just went off and did other things. But actually that, that sense of place, that sense of, does rurality exist as a word? That sense now. A sense of countryside <laughs> kind of still existed and was happening in theatre, mm. but actually found a much stronger role in food and in cheese in particular. I, mean, I, I could almost say, I don't know if this is going to be... I don't know if I'm shooting myself in the foot by saying this. If Neil Jard had been selling some other food, I would probably be working in that food now. If you see what I mean? It's, the, uh, it's that are, culture yeah. of food. Yeah. It just Sorry. so happened it was cheese. And I understand but the I cheese and I get it.
4: Cheese, yes, and i but I've been writing about food for decades and the cheese world yeah. in Britain does have a particular camaraderie about it. It's yeah. had for a long time, yes. and, and someone like Randolph Hodgson, who founded New Zealand Dairy, was championing a food that was ha- under a lot of pressure, you know, and there were issues um, on all fronts. And, yeah, and no. I think that sense of loving something and trying to champion it and bringing it to people in a very democratic way, which is very much the the ethos of New Zealand yeah. Dairy, you know, that's had a massive... Yeah. It's been very formative for this sort of British cheese scene, I think. So, oh, yeah, oh, definitely. Can I Ask you something, Chris? I wanted to talk about because I mentioned about in fact, it goes back to what you were saying about food and place. And what strikes me about cheesemongers in different parts of Britain is that they have the opportunity to sell cheeses that are local, locally made to them yeah. in perhaps and a depth and a range. And I was looking at your website, and I and we've talked about Graham Kirkham, the Lancashire, the wonderful Lancashire cheesemaker of Mrs. Kirkham's Lancashire, and I thought, oh. I didn't know that Graham made a sage Lancashire, which is something that you've got on your website.
3: Yeah. yeah. Um, he makes it just yeah. for Christmas. So he'll just, that's uh, so a Christmas ah. theme. And he also now does a ruby a one ruby. as well, which is a vegetarian yeah. one. So he does, he does a kind of, it, it, it doesn't do many, uh, but yeah, yeah, he does a sage Lancashire, which is, again, we only sold it at Christmas. He only makes it then. It's kind of, and, and people come in going, oh, you've got it. So it's because they ah, know it. Nice. They understand that's something he does do just for Christmas. Yeah, he, he he kind of And you've got
4: Collhastone, which is a Cotherstone oh, cheese. Yeah. That's another beautiful Dale cheese. I love that cheese. So in fact that I found that that's what I'm really pleased to know that you sell it because Um, I can't really buy it very easily in London. I haven't seen it in London for for years, actually. So I'm like, oh, good. I have to go and do some shopping online.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But this one's actually a, so it's not the one which is waxed. Um, This is one, I do find quite interesting to put on the counter side by side. This is one where the wax has been taken off and a natural rind has been allowed to develop on it. So actually inside it becomes a much more spongy, soft, almost squidgy, uh, cheese, as opposed mm. to that slightly firm, like to
4: keep type young cheese. I mean, I mean so I've talked to um, Andy of Courtyard Dairy, oh, yeah. and he's you know, and as, the great. Am I also to the bookshop? He's fantastic, Andy. And I mean, I think when it comes across from Andy, he's got a very strong sense of what his customers like. They're tasting cheese, which is partly yes. to do. You know, he was saying that unusually for them, unlike a lot of other cheese shops, their big Christmas seller is not Stilton. It is. It is Lancashire and Wensleydale because that's the sort yeah. of it's a tradition, yeah. it? And do you see the same yeah. in your shop?
3: Yeah, definitely. And, it is, and we talked a lot with Andy before we set up, and uh, obviously Graham has worked with Andy for a long time because he takes so much of, of their cheese. So he he was courtyards me very much is very much on mind a lot of the time. But I think what we found is, and we were expecting that that there would there be a big it would become a big kind of regional cheese place shop that we are selling. But actually, maybe there's a more kind of metropolitan feel to it. So I should think we equally sell as much kind of the the soft goat's cheese, what would be kind of supposed to define as more refined cheeses, for want of a better word, or appear to be more refined Mm -hmm. cheeses. I suppose we sell more of those, as much as those as we do the regional cheese. Uh, Though we do push the regional cheese on. Time. well yeah it surprised us as well because i didn't think the goat's cheese and the softies would kind of be as big as they are but yeah we get through tons of those i think
4: they've become um, very which popular I and mean, they've become a goats you know they're many more people become much more used to the idea of goat's cheese you know about 20
3: 30 years ago it was like oh yeah.
4: in britain we but now we've become much more accustomed to them and um, yeah and people have well i, I think also goats
3: people Yeah, I think people discover that goat's cheeses can be as varied as every other cheese. um, Yes, exactly. before I worked at Neil's Yard, I didn't like goat's cheese at all. But once I suddenly went, oh, (laughs) oh, they can be nice. Um, I used that kind of supermarket French, quite chemically taste, produced taste. Uh, and, okay, cheese, goat's cheese can go like that, uh, but certainly the ones we, we sell are not. They're kind of soft and delicate, going up to kind of big and punchy. It's, you know, it's yeah. it's a gamut. It?
4: No, I'm very... Yeah, there are lots of... My mouth's now watering, thinking of things like Parosh, and we've got a lovely sort of lemon yeah. tang, that's what my mouth's watering. <laughs> so
3: I've got to write that down now. You um, reminded me.
4: <laughs> Chris, tell me, what, what do you enjoy about being a, you know and you've made a switch from in a way from theater to food and and working in this world. give us a glimpse into the hard work that goes into running a cheese shop, a good cheese shop and you know what are the issues is it to start with and then we'll move on to the um, business.
3: I think the issues have been and so far I've been very lucky. I think finding staff who get it and who mm. have that passion for the product as well who don't just want to work in a shop. But they mm-hmm. want to understand that culture of cheese. And I think, I hope, Touchwood have been good at enthusing our staff about that. Yeah. I think at the moment staffing's tricky because obviously staffing's tricky for everyone else. But we've, you know, over yeah. Christmas we had an amazing group of people um, and it, it really buoyed us up this Christmas. And actually it made it a really good and exciting Christmas to do. You know, just the usual day-to-day running of a shop, it takes so much. and uh, But that's, you know, we get on with that.
4: Having the cheese at good condition, you know, that's – tell me them, tell them a little bit about yeah. that because that's also an issue, isn't it, in a cheese shop? Yeah.
3: So the shop is, uh, the shop is, em- is um, em- environmentally, um, ambiently controlled. So it is mm-hmm. – or the shop is always kind of below 13 degrees um, and often <laughs> in winter uh, much, much below 13 degrees. I think the lowest we've got so far is three degrees in the shop. Ooh. So we, we're wrapped up. <laughs> but the cheese likes that the cheese likes that we've got we've we've managed to build quite a good nice uh, humid shop in which it keeps we don't really, we don't have the problem with cheese drying out which is which is brilliant um, but that's a day-to-day thing there's three parts to what we do and i think all three are incredibly important none of the three can exist can exist without the other that's the customers cleaning and cheese care and all three are kind of completely intertwined and one can't exist without the other, you know, we, because of the way we clean the shop, and because we, uh, because of our practice, it means we can now we can put our cheese out like we do. So it's out on an open counter. There's sneeze guards, right. but it is out on a out ambiently controlled mm. environment. We don't really? keep cheese in cold counters.
4: It's very appealing, isn't it? There's something about that when you come into a shop and you can, and the cheeses are on display, and you can see the textures yeah. and. Uh, as opposed to having a, a sort of a glass screen between
3: you. And it always cheers me. We have an awful lot of continental customers in. kind of always cheers me. Certainly, I know, it's, I know, I know we should always go to approval, but when the French come in and go, we absolutely love it here, you go, that's fine. I can live with it. <laughs>
4: but you were selling British cheeses, aren't you, in your shop? Is that right?
3: Two or three non-British and Irish cheeses, but yeah.
4: Yeah, yeah. So I think that is a compliment. Yeah. And so t- let's talk. So we've talked about the work. What are what are some of the satisfactions that you found um, working in a cheese shop? In you know having setting up this this enterprise, you know with with Graham Kirkham and the Newsyard Dairy. What, what's what's been rewarding about it?
3: The, the people. <laughs> I mean, has to be said. Just the people. It's the customers. It's just it's just great chatting to customers. We've had customers who've come in been coming to us for three years. So there's a lot of customers we know. There's a lot of customers we're kind of friends with now. That's been brilliant. That makes that makes every day great because you're learning so much about, about people through cheese. Conversations happen. As we all know, conversations happen through food. That's how you get to know people. And the other, I mean, and also the people, the cheesemakers themselves, um, mm. getting to know them more and getting to know how they work, what drives them, what they enjoy about their work that's been that's a constant joy and a constant pleasure certainly every member of staff well most the permanent members of staff not only the Christmas temps but the permanent members staff we always send out to farms we try and send them out as often as we can um, we're going over to Wales in a few weeks time to Costum Khamri over there to see how she makes her cheeses
1: uh, mm-hmm. it's
3: down yeah, she's in Bethesda So she makes the lovely, soft, lactic Brevi-Bach sheep's cheese.
4: Yeah, beautiful Um, cheese. That is exquisite cheese. Yeah.
3: Yeah. But yeah, if I can get out two or three times a year to visit cheesemakers, that's that's my dream. (laughs) I wish I had the (laughs) mindset and the headspace to make cheese, but I I don't. But I I, I envy that. Do you
4: know, it's interesting, because in the cheese world, when I set up this when I started doing this podcast, I wanted to talk to cheesemongers as well as cheese makers, because, for me, they're mm-hmm. so important, you know, that partnership, because uh, yeah. you, you don't as – as someone who just buys cheese, I don't make it myself. You know, what I need is, the, is to have a shop with good cheeses that are being well cared for, people who can tell me about them, you know, who, and, and share their enthusiasm. That's a wonderful thing. So it's, yeah. they're very important. So good cheeses really are super important.
3: It was the thing that theatre taught me. You know, everyone has their place in the process and each place is as equally important. A lot of those Mm. cheesemakers cannot get their products out to as many places as they can without the next stage in the process, which is, you know, where we step in. And that kind of same enthusiasm and care has got to carry on with us as much as with the cheesemakers because there's no point in... And Graham sending out a beautifully made wheel of Lancashire, and it just getting chucked on a counter, drying out, wrapped in cling film in a cold room or on a, co- mm. in a cold counter, and not at its best. So we've got to be that next part of the process. We play our part as well. Yeah. I hope.
4: Yeah, no, it's very important because you know, I, when you talk to food producers, uh, you know, they've got to, you know, they've got to find a market for their food, or they won't be able to carry on. So it's very. Yeah. Very important what you're doing. So, yeah. well, Chris, it sounds like you found a very rewarding path to go down. So, thank you for taking the time yes. to talk to us. Much appreciated. It.
3: No, it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much.
1: To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.
4: Thank you so much for listening to a slice of cheese. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have enjoyed it, it would be lovely if you could rate us on wherever you found this podcast. It will make such a difference to us. So I hope you'll enjoy us again. Thank you very much.